Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 76, produced 16 January 2021. There's no question that there is more to tartan than meets the eye. For the well-dressed Scottish lad or lassie, a simple ready-made gentleman's tie or scarf just isn't enough. There are trousers and trues, skirts and shoes, dresses and kilts, caps and cummerbunds, jackets and waistcoats, and all in a variety of tartans from which to choose. A tailor-made tartan outfit is as timeless a classic as Bonnie Prince Charlie and delivering your tartan in your style. Well, that's the mission of Scotland Shop. I'm Glenn Moyer, and in a moment, we'll meet Scotland Shop founder Anna White and trace her career and business from the family farm in the borders to the high street to today's online virtual marketplace. Yep, we're talking tartan once again, here under the tartan sky. Are you Dot Scott yet? DotScot is the domain for the worldwide community of Scots. It became available to the public in late 2014 and is used by the Scottish Government and Parliament, the National Health Service in Scotland, and thousands of other organisations and individuals around the globe. DotScot doesn't mind where you live or what kind of Scottish connection you have. If you're Scottish by birth, heritage or affinity, or an association that practices and promotes Scottish arts and culture, or a business with some kind of Scottish connection, then .scot is for you. Best of all, it's easy to sign up to. Simply visit domains.scot, choose your domain name, and you're off and running. And by the way, if you're just looking for a wee blether, our email service will help you do that too. .scot, be part of it. When it comes to made-in-Scotland tailored tartan clothing, one of the names to know is Scotland Shop. Headquartered in the Scottish Borders town of Duns, Scotland Shop also has a storefront location in Edinburgh and a notable presence online where, in light of today's pandemic, you can make a virtual appointment to be measured for the garment of your choice. Scotland Shop is best known for its tailored clothing, and while offering a choice of over 500 tartans, they also deal in tweeds, cashmeres, and more. And besides clothing, you can also buy your own fabric for sewing, crafting, or upholstery. You can order rugs and throws, curtains and blinds, gifts for him and her, as well as the kids, interior and table decorations, and, well, a lot more. In short, they strive to offer you your tartan in your style. Anna White is the founder of Scotland Shop. One of three daughters, she grew up on a farm in the Scottish borders. Initially, she was offering Scottish crafts, gifts, food, and textiles from the region. But it only took a couple of years for White to shift the business to textiles exclusively and to move into what remains the company's borders headquarters, a renovated granary in the town of Duns. Today, the company has a second location just off the Royal Mile in Edinburgh and has experimented with a pop-up shop in New York City during Tartan Week. They operate multiple international websites and can, in non-pandemic years, be found exhibiting at a variety of Highland Games and Scottish festivals. 
Next year, 2022, will mark the company's 20th anniversary, and White has accomplished all of this while raising a family and, true to her original mission, promoting products of what is arguably one of Scotland's lesser-appreciated regions, the Borders. Indeed, if asked, she can almost assume the role of tourist guide, as she did with me when we sat down for a chat shortly before Christmas last year, and I asked about her home in Scotland. It's that part of the country, so you just come over the border and it's the part of the country between um, between the border and Edinburgh. So people tend to either fly straight into Edinburgh or Glasgow or somewhere else um, and just miss out this area and not even really know it exists. Um, or some people come by train and they'll train ride up the coast. And if you say, oh, but do you remember the bit between Berwick and Tweed and Edinburgh? And they say, oh, yeah, it was amazing. But they never actually stop. So I think... Yeah, it's it's a forgotten about bit. bit. People don't really realise it's here, and it's probably not the most accessible either. So you you're best to have a car. It's not got a lot of public transport, um, but it's literally from where I live here over on the east coast in Duns. It's an hour and twenty right into the city centre of Edinburgh. So it's a very accessible area. So if you are staying somewhere like Edinburgh, it's a quick zip down the road and you're into some of the most beautiful countryside. Very, very unspoiled, quiet area. Um, and along this coast where we are, there's a beautiful coastline um, lot, and really quiet, deserted beaches, beautiful coastal paths. And then if you go right across to the west to Peebles, which is what maybe only 45 minutes out of Edinburgh, um, you get amazing hill walking, beautiful hills, and then world-famous mountain bike trails. I sound a bit like a tourist guide now, but <laughs> the, the, just some there's some really amazing places down here and lots of lots of abbeys and castles and big country houses as well so lots and lots to do and I think people who do discover this area realize they've really found a bit of a hidden gem. What are some of your memories then of having grown up there and I'm curious to know if something in particular perhaps inspired you into the line of business you're in now dealing with Scottish textiles. Was there anything in your upbringing that particularly made you think, oh, I know, I'm going to go do this for the rest of my life? Well, I'm a farmer's daughter, so my dad was a dairy farmer and my mum worked on the farm as well. So um, I had a kind of traditional upbringing, I suppose, but also a good um, a good insight into being running your own business, being quite, my dad was a very entrepreneurial man, a bit of a character. Um, and he didn't inherit his farm. He, he'd started that from scratch. So I suppose we saw that from that kind of struggle of a new business to, to turning it into a successful business um, and just all the kind of creativeness and personal skill, I suppose, that you put into doing that, your own, your own touches on it. Um, and we were, I was one of three girls, so we had that poor dad, no sons to take over the farm. None of us wanted to take it on, so it's not very happy. Um, but, but yeah, we it gave us a real can-do attitude. I think we were just expected to be able to do everything or learn to do it and, and do it for ourselves. So that, for me, in terms of upbringing and running your own business, it, it gave me a real feel for what it would be like and the hard work that's involved. And I always really enjoyed the, the work side of it. Um, and yeah, the, the area, I think as a young person, I had very little appreciation for what was produced in my area. I think um, that kind of teenage ignorance of 
all the amazing stuff around you. And it wasn't until I left the area and did a lot of traveling, went away and studied, and then came back to work. Um, and I had a job which involved um, working with between schools and industry creating projects to link up the two and that's when I got really involved with some of the textiles mills and the struggles they were having to encourage young people to go and work for them uh, and I, I really fell in love with the whole production process that factory environment the the history behind it and the all the traditions and the fact that these tartans that and, and dyes and were in the drawer on bits of cardboard um you know, patterns and pattern repeat sizes of tartans. And that was all in there. And, I, and they were using the same thing today that they were using 100 years ago. So that definitely, at that point, that really captured my imagination and made me feel like I wanted to do something in that area. You know, we're looking back 20 years ago almost. Um, you founded Scotland Shop in 2002, as I recall. Nowadays, entrepreneurial women in business, women founding their own businesses and uh, breaking the glass ceiling, climbing to the CEO level, all those kinds of things. We're sort of used to that now. It's all happened, I guess, in the last 20 years. But, you know, almost 20 years ago, when you decided to go into business and start Scotland Shop, and I know you started very small, were there particular challenges perhaps with starting a business and being a woman? And and, and, you know, no offense intended, but being a farm girl from the borders? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, you know, it is a very traditional industry as well. So so I suppose, yeah, there is that kind of traditional view, I suppose, of whether, um, you know, whether women should be running their own businesses. And we were probably, we would be coming out of that. And, and as I say, I was one of three girls and we were just expected to do everything my dad definitely thought we should make our own way in the world um so we were we were pushed in that direction i sometimes felt like because my husband had a had a job that you know he was self-sufficient and we could almost survive without my salary for a couple of years that i benefited from that that kind of pressure, a little bit less pressure to be a breadwinner um, while I got the business off the ground and, be, and made it profitable. But I, I don't know, we run a very 50-50 um, marriage, I would say, and the, and the whole childcare thing. My husband is probably does more than me, actually. Um, but we had two kids while I built the business. So, yeah, there were lots of challenges there of how do I combine bringing up the children in the way that we want to bring them up and spending lots of time with them as well as trying to build what is always a young business is always really demanding. So my children spent a bit of time sleeping under the office in their push chair um, <laughs> or, you know, being in the office with me. But, but at the same time, I think they learned a lot from that too. You know, they know what tax is. They listen to all the chat about employees and staff issues and supplier issues. So they picked up lots of things for all they've maybe seen less of their mother. They probably have picked up lots of good business knowledge along the way. And in terms of the textile industry, it's quite male dominated. So I have sometimes felt a bit like the only woman in the room, but I don't necessarily think that's... That doesn't really bother me. I just, I quite like forging my own path and do my own thing. So, so I don't really think that's a disadvantage and I don't necessarily think I've been treated differently. I just, 
I just ignore it and carry on. From what I read about the company, you started fairly small. Was the initial startup with regard to funding and, and just establishing a business and getting your name out there, was was that particularly difficult being a female in, in what is largely a male-dominated business, especially almost 20 years ago? I don't think so. No, I think... It- I started, I grew very organically. So I was never looking for investment really from outsiders. I wasn't, um, the bank were quite good to me. I think at that time, 20 years ago, the banks were a lot more into lending money to startups. So that probably benefited me. Um, They were really keen to see women going into business. And in a way in this area, because it is a very kind of agricultural kind of traditional industry-based area and lots of textiles they were really keen to see more women in business so in a way maybe I received more support um you know there was just me and then I added on another person added on another person and just kind of built it from there so it was a very kind of very slow and steady growth I would say and that's how I've continued to do things um I, I think I do seem to have quite a lot of female employees, so I don't know. Not on purpose, but, but that's we seem to have more women than men, and that seems to be fairly characteristic of women-owned or women-run businesses. But I don't really know why, but that just seems to be what we attract. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's really affected me. I think, I, I think sometimes maybe when I've gone into a room and it's all male CEOs and and they think, oh, who is this girl who's where their family owned businesses and their their tartan mills that have been with a family for a hundred years, and then I've just started up an e-commerce business. There's probably more suspicion of the e-commerce side because 20 years ago that was brand new. There was more suspicion of that than a woman-owned business, I would say. You started out very small, I'm assuming almost a, a down-on-the-farm kind of shop, and you were working with not just textiles, but you began with uh, food and crafts and gifts. And within the first year, I think, then you decided to dump all of that and focus strictly on uh, textiles. What, what prompted that change and that uh, more specific focus for the business? So I started out very much with the viewpoint of wanting to promote the products from our area, so from the Scottish borders. And in this area, there's some amazing foods um, and small producers of, of some speciality foods. Um, so that's, that was kind of prompted that as a lot of good craft products as well. So I started out offering that range um, because I felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, but as I... As these things always seem to be when you start a business, you learn as you go along. And it really quickly became apparent that it was much easier for me to have a very focused product range um, and just silly things like packaging, um, shipping regulations, all of these kind of things were were then different for every product grouping. Whereas if I stuck to one single product range, it meant we could standardise some of those um, things much more easily. And the textile side was really what drew me to start the business in the first place. That was my favourite product. That was, I love my clothes. I love colour. I love the textiles. I just, that was the bit that I really wanted to do so when I decided that really I needed to have a very focused product range that was when I moved to to 
dropping the food and the more kind of craft and pottery and those kind of products. There was definitely huge demand, particularly for the food, um, but it's just it's just a different business. I, I just realised that very quickly. It needed a different marketing style. It just it just needed different things, and I wanted to focus on one. So I thought, since this region world renowned for textiles, and and it was fitted in with a product that I felt very passionate about textiles, it became very early on. You went international to the extent of actually creating. German and French language websites. You actually launched individual websites in different languages to expand or, or to get out into the international market. That seems extraordinary to me, especially so many years ago. What what prompted all of that? And where did you get a sense that there was that kind of a market internationally, especially European, uh, for Scottish textiles? I think there was a little bit of indulging my own personal interest and I do love traveling and I love meeting different people and discovering different cultures and traditions and things so um, I definitely had it in my head when I started out in business that I wanted to be an international business at a university I studied international marketing in French so that was my kind of that was already, I suppose, in my in my mind. Um, but we did lots and lots of research. And at that time, um, Germany was, in terms of visitors coming to the to Scotland, um, Germany had some of the highest visitor numbers and highest levels of interaction with Scotland. Um, and that's where a, that, that's where the whole German thing came from. The research really pointed towards that being a really big market for us um, and their appreciation for quality product um, and their enjoyment of our history and culture and all of these things. So that's what led us to do the German website. And we did do a full, at that time, Google Translate, you know, this was 20 years ago and Google Translate just wasn't what it is now. And it's still certainly not perfect now. So, so no, we used translators and we translated the website fully and all the tartan pages. And it, it was a big, big job. I um, mean, that site immediately did fairly well so that was positive and then because I speak French and I'm not perfect but I thought I was probably good enough um some may differ but uh, so I had a bit thought well I'll just have a bit of a go at doing a French website a French translation and we'll see how we go and that was quite incredible the response we had to that and we suddenly uncovered all these Celtic connections and a huge amount of customers who are still with us to this day who just love Scotland and they love well they, they just love the product um and I think the French have a very they love their clothes and they love tailoring um so they really like our made to measure service they really like that they can create you know, you choose out of 500 different tartans, you choose your tartan and you create your jacket or your trousers or your suit or your skirt, whatever you like. So it's a really unique piece. Um, and, and that definitely appeals to, to, the, to the French people. They, they just love our product. You just led me right into my next question, which was the observation, firstly, that there are countless 
shops where you can go online and or in person if you're in Scotland and buy a bit of tartan. You can find you know shops everywhere that carry lambswool scarves or gentlemen's ties and uh, you know those kinds even ready-made kilts. What led you into the the tailor-made, the made-to-order service? Because that's something that seems like uh, you really have set as a hallmark for the business now. Because we wanted to be different, I think. And yes, it makes it so complicated. It makes it complicated in every way and that it's really difficult to know what to stock. It's difficult to know what the ordering system is complicated because you're taking cloth, you know, right, how much cloth do we need for a garment? Then what buttons do we need? What satin back do we need for the waistcoat? What, what, all these different elements. So the ordering process becomes very complicated. Um, and also your staff have to become they're so much more knowledgeable they have to be they have to understand the production process how a garment's put together so you then have to employ people with certain skills or train them in-house or so all of it becomes more complicated but well my mum would say that I always made things complicated so that's maybe (laughs) just what I like but um, I like solving problems so so I think in a way it was a bit of a challenge so I quite like that but But that's what makes it interesting. So it makes it interesting for the people who work for us, our staff. People come and work for us and they think it's just going to be a job selling or or chatting to customers or whatever. And then they soon realize that they're going to learn something new every single day. And that's what we all really enjoy. Um, And I think our customers come in the door and don't necessarily know what they're going to get but then they discover there's so much more. And every time they think, oh, but I would just like this. And you say, oh, we can do that. That's no problem. We can add that. We can make it longer, shorter, wider, different tartan, lighter cloth, heavier cloth. There's so many options. And and the whole process of purchasing becomes an experience and it becomes fun. And that's, that's what I love. And I think that's what our customers love too. And yes, it's complicated, but it allows that whole creativeness to come out and people just, it's just really fun. How important is the U.S. market to what you do? I mean, the the Scottish diaspora, of course, are all around the world, but we all know there is a a huge uh, Scottish diaspora here in the United States. There's quite a relationship between the Scots in America and Scotland. We talked about you reaching out early because of your own travel experience to Germany and France, etc. But what role has the U.S. market played in uh, the growth of your business through the years? Yeah, the U.S. market right from day one has been really important to us and has been something that's just grown and grown over the years. Um, it's It's an amazing customer base because there is such a those links whereas perhaps your europeans buy because they love the quality of the cloth or they love the tartan or sometimes they have a connection and um, with a clan or or a family but not not always whereas the the lovely thing about dealing with with a lot of our us customers is they have heritage here they have a story in scotland or a link to scotland even if it's just a place they've been or or they knew someone or so there's there's a real emotional reason for them coming to us um, and we always have a lot more there's a lot more conversation i suppose around every purchase and every decision because of that so it's not only obviously is it an important customer base for us in terms of 
uh, economically, but it, but just in terms of that passion for the product and for what we do, uh, definitely, it, it's always exciting talking to the US customers because they are excited to have discovered us and to be able to create something that links them to their family heritage or, or their own connection to Scotland. We've had a few trips out to the US before the pandemic and um, they were really fun one because I could indulge my love of traveling and go places I maybe hadn't been yet um, and take staff with me so that was nice for them too but just the people we've met and just so friendly and open and happy to share their country and their stories and how they ended up there. One of those trips was uh, of course to New York City for the week-long Tartan Day uh, celebrations and the, and the Tartan Day Parade. And you traveled over in, in 2019, pre-pandemic, of course, and set up a pop-up shop. And for a long time, I didn't understand what the word pop-up meant in the Scottish vernacular. It's basically a business in a temporary location for the, my Americans who are listening in. And so you came over for the Tartan Day celebrations and brought some staff and created a pop-up Scotland shop in New York City. Tell me a little bit about that experience. What was is that like dealing with customers face-to-face, firsthand, et cetera, and your experience in New York? Well, that was my very first time to New York, so that was exciting, and I loved the buzz of the city and the fact that nobody ever seemed to sleep. It was great, <laughs> wandering around in the middle of the night and everyone was still going around. Um, so we were, yeah, it was a great trip, um, really exciting. I actually um, took my children with me as well, two teenagers, first time in New York, so they're very lucky. Um, It just seemed too good a thing to miss. And now we've had the pandemic, I I am so glad that I took them because you're just not sure when these things will resume. So, So it was a great trip. And as I said before about the friendliness and openness of people we did, we really enjoyed that. And we were based at the Algonquin Hotel on 44th. So right where the registration for the parade takes place. So that was just the atmosphere on the day, everybody gathering and excited about the parade. And I just find it quite incredible that that this bunch of Scots and and Americans with Scots heritage and just people who loved Scotland or Tartan or just fancied a parade would were allowed to take over Fifth Avenue and just uh, just you know just I don't know just take over and march and um, it, it, it just it was quite an amazing experience um, and just met so many interesting people. Uh, lots of parties around the event as well. So we had lots of social fun as well. So just that that whole kind of community feeling. You were in a great big city like New York, yet there was this really lovely community who were there together sharing their experiences and their history and their heritage. And, yeah, it, it was quite incredible week, I have to say. And and we literally, for us, it was a bit of an experiment. We thought, well, we'll go out and give it a shot and see if people like us and see what they think of our product, seeing it face to face. And we offered appointments and people booked in and came to see us. And and we, we it was great. We just we got so many lovely people in to speak to us and see our products and tell us things and we learned lots of new terminology and things on our website we needed to change because the terminology wasn't quite right or the sizing guides weren't quite right and yeah we learned lots and lots and 
we look forward to returning hopefully in 2021. As I look forward to hopefully returning to Scotland, you started out with a small shop, then later on you opened up a, a shop in Edinburgh. Um, is there a, a brick-and-mortar location in the future, perhaps in New York City, for Scotland shop? Now, that would be good. That would be good. <laughs> yeah, I think for us, we, yes, we've got big plans. We've got, we you know, we really love the U.S. market and we want to serve it better and we want to, to, to be out there more frequently. So we had planned lots of trips in 2020, um, which obviously didn't happen. So we hope to resume those, you know, if the vaccine works and things get back to normal. So, yeah, we would definitely expect to have a lot more presence in the U.S. in the years to come. 2020 and the pandemic, it's forced a, a lot of brick and mortar retail type places to drastically change the way they do business. And in many cases, they are no longer doing business, sadly. I know one of the things you've gone to is with your made to measure clothing is you can now do that online, which is a little uh, mind boggling to me. Um, <laughs> I think you've started some YouTube work or I, I know you're doing some video outreach with weekly uh, programming of, of interest around your product line and around Scottish products. So how has the pandemic forced you to change your business model? Yeah, well, we, we were in Florida doing a bit of a tour and some pop-up shops in Highland Gates and things at the end of February, beginning of March. And and then I felt like we came back to Scotland and as we flew back, it was like, oh, there's a bit of rumbling going on here. There's definitely this pandemic, this um, virus is a bit more serious than we thought. But we still landed in Scotland thinking, this is great. We've had a great time in the US and we'll be back out for Tartan Day in April. And then a week later, literally saw the orders overnight just stop. It was quite terrifying, I have to say, to have built a business over 18 years and then just see it literally dry up overnight for no fault of your own. And I know there's so many businesses, you know, had exactly that situation. So I suppose for us, it was an immediate right. How are we going to deal with this? Are we going to lie down and let it happen? Or, you know, what can we do to still promote what is a fabulous product and how can we still speak to our customers? So that's where the video appointments came about. And I think initially, you know, people weren't really into Zoom and they hadn't necessarily done a lot of video calls. So, but there's been a huge cultural shift, hasn't there, over the last year where we've all kind of gone resorted to zoom and teams and all these different video calls so i think that's that's obviously helped that people have have been very accepting of that technology but it's actually really fun we just you make an appointment with us and people come on the video call they can bring their their husband their wife their partners their child somebody to help them measure and we literally teach you how to measure for a garment whether it's a kilt or a suit or whatever and we just teach you how to do that via the video call um, so you can imagine there's a bit of hilarity involved usually and technology failing every now and then and <laughs> it's so it, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun, you know. That we get we chat away, and we show you all the different tartans. We have the swatch books here. We can hold them up, and we can send you links to, you know, to view them afterwards. And so it's yeah. It we just decided straight away. Let's just offer that and see what people think. And 
and we've just developed it with our customers as they've told us, oh, it'd be really good if you could do this or can you help us with this or that? Or, and we've just developed that. And that's allowed us then to keep those staff in Edinburgh, you know, in the Edinburgh shop, which was closed for a long time. It's open now, but it's still very quiet. But that's allowed us to basically keep that shop running. And those staff with their amazing skills can still use them. It's just on a video call instead of face-to-face. I, I can imagine. I remember um, when I worked in uh, in television news, um, there was the saying in in television that the camera adds ten pounds. So I can I can just imagine uh, doing a, a a video measurement and going, oh my gosh, that can't be right. You know, I'm, no, no, no. You know, and then my waist isn't that big. It must be the camera. <laughs> it, it's even the fact that sometimes people. People are, oh, I need a tape measure. Like, yes, you yeah. definitely need a tape measure. So yeah. silly things like we've amended our wording to say you will need a tape measure and you will need someone to help you. So, yeah, things like that. And people have a metal measuring tape. I, I was about to say. To be a yeah. I was, no, no, that's not going to work. I, I was about to say the only tape measures I have in my house are metal tape measures. And uh, yeah. and occasionally when I've had somebody say, well, measure around your ankle. And I'm going, with what? You know, and I resort to the old bit about where you get a piece of string or ribbon and you do that and then you lay it against yeah. a ruler and, you know, you get your, your measurements. But, yeah, I can imagine some hilarity. Tell me about the uh, about the video project. Uh, you do this mm-hmm. weekly video um, talking about all sorts of things relative to Scotland. And I'm a little intrigued about that. Well, again, that was just one of those things that we thought, what could we do that would be interesting? And knowing that people were online and um we're at home much more than normal and we thought we'd just do some so we do a whole day every Wednesday night at seven o'clock um UK time so a bit earlier for wherever you are in the world um and we do a show some of them were about products so we would take a product like trousers and we would tell you all about the history of trousers how fashion has changed how we make a pair of trousers all the different um little Um, details that you probably never think about and also how you can have your trousers made and how we all the the different choices you have about turnips and pleats and all these different things so so we did we've done a few on products we've done we've had guests on we've had tour guides on to talk about some of the lovely areas of scotland or their areas of knowledge um we've we've been Oh, what else have we done? Lots of different things. We talk to, so every month we have our clan of the month, so we celebrate. This month it's Wallace, so we, we celebrate everything about clan Wallace and members of the clan tell send us stories and we share their stories and their photos and we look at the history and some of the current day famous Wallaces as well as some of the more historical ones. And and so we have people on the show as well who talk about the, um, the clan and some of the history behind it. So it it kind of started off, you know, we'll talk a bit about products and then we thought, oh, I'll make it a bit more interesting. Let's have a guest. And so we've virtually had lots of different guests and a whole multitude of different topics. And I suppose a little bit inspired by the people we've met along the way. So we just keep finding different people who are interesting and have interesting stories. And we've been sharing them. I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, 500 plus tartans that you deal with. And I would imagine that most folks from the U.S., my experience has been that most of us Americans have a fairly decent sense of what 
clan we belong to. And that's a whole other subject because most of us don't really belong to a clan, but we claim affiliation with a clan. Um, I'm curious, though, about particularly with maybe your European customers, do you find sometimes that people come to you and, and they, well, I just want you know, I'd like a tartan skirt or a jacket or whatever. And suddenly when you say, well, which tartan, do they become a little bit overwhelmed if they don't have (laughs) one particular tartan already in mind? Yes, absolutely. And that's been something, you know, when you look at all your, when you go into your, your stats and things about conversion rates, no, we have all these visitors to the website and, and actually you look at how many purchase, it's it's a fairly poor conversion rate. But in a way, I think a lot of that is, well, one, because lots of people just like coming and having a look and exploring the tartans and that's what we're about. You know, we want to share all that information. But also I think people do come on and they're just a bit overwhelmed and they're not quite sure where to begin. So so we do, we, we deal with so many inquiries and some of those video calls we do are purely about exploring tartans. And we've had people bring show us their sofa and say i just want some cushions to match that sofa how can you help me and people send us photos of things and can you match this or they're getting married and they have a color theme and they just want to tie in with the color theme so so we do a lot of yeah matching helping people just kind of distill those 500 down to a few to choose from and you can do that by color you can do it by district as well there's lots of district tartans so sometimes people will have discovered they say oh but i did visit once and i was only 10 and i remember going to inverness and then you say well there is actually an inverness tartan and that's a district tartan rather than a clan tartan so there's lots of different ways to find something a tartan that has meaning even if you're not part of a clan or a particular family so that sometimes that's more fun actually just to find helping people to discover just what it was they wanted but, but I do agree, it's quite overwhelming when you open the books and go, 500, where are we going to begin? <laughs> is there, in your experience, is there a, um, a favorite tartan, um, one that most people or a majority of people perhaps lean to? The Black Watch is such a classic. We, that's certainly the, the tartan we sell most of. Um, and it's obviously quite subdued as well. So if you're not feeling very brave, then that's you can wear the Black Watch tartan without necessarily feeling like you really are wearing tartan because it is quite dark. Um, so that's one of the popular ones. But oh, it's quite difficult. The Isle of Skye is a hugely popular one. I think partly because everybody knows about the Isle of Skye. It's so it's such a famous place to visit if you come to Scotland Um, but it's really beautiful it's very it's all mossy greens and purples and um, very Scottish colours I would say so I think those colours you associate with Scotland um, and was designed because it's not linked to a particular clan then it was designed to look very beautiful so I think you can tell um yeah, another one, Scotland Forever is another one that's not, it's a generic tartan, it's a more modern tartan, and it's all blues and purple and white, so it's 
it's another very Scottish, very Scottish colours, I think. So it's another very popular one. And this time of year, I, I know I see, um, we're recording this just uh, the week before Christmas, and uh, this time of year you see an awful lot of Royal Stuart uh, tartan because it's mm-hmm. it's that brilliant red multicolored tartan. Um, certainly not something you wear if you want to go out and be subdued. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you see, I see a lot of it in Christmas decorations, in ribbons, in packaging, um, in you know Christmas tree skirts, all of that sort of thing. Uh, it seems like Royal Stuart really shines during the Christmas season, anyway. It does, and that is the the royal tartan. That's the one that's linked to Edinburgh tartan, Edinburgh Castle as well. So yes, it it is. It's pro- that will be the most popular tartan in the world. I would have thought, and we certainly sell sell a lot of that. And it, it does. It's lovely. It's very Christmassy and festive. Sometimes we get people who say, "Oh, we love that red, but we we don't want that one. We want something a little bit different to that." So we, we there's some variations that you can choose that are kind of lovely reds but but not necessarily the Stuart Royal so still a little bit different I'm part of McGregor so my I'm very red red and green and white so I I feel quite Christmassy with my tartan my association that I claim anyway is Clan Douglas and so I'm that one's the blues and greens and white and then my own bespoke tartan is very much is blue three shades of blue with a little red and white mixed in there and that's an amazing thing about tartan is that uh, we haven't talked a lot about that, and I don't want to get us off on too much of a tangent about tartan, but there is a tartan in every shade uh, and every color of the rainbow. You can come in and say, well, I'd like an orange tartan, or I'd like a purple tartan, or I'd... it's people who don't have a specific tartan in mind I'm speaking of, of course, as you say, could maybe come to you and say, well, we're having a wedding, and our color theme is green or cream or you know, yellow or whatever. And, and I suspect there are tartans out there you could find in virtually any color of the rainbow. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And it's just finding the right, that right shade. That, yeah, and that's, and that's part of the fun, though. And that's what's so nice. That's what I love about tartan. I just love color. So I, I, I really enjoy, you know, every, every garment that comes in or everything we make and you see it come in and it's just, when you're packing parcels, it's just really nice to see what people have chosen. I want to backtrack just slightly a little bit. We were talking about e-commerce and we were talking about Scotland, the brand. And I saw recently a, a post on a Facebook group that I'm in about Scottish folks and affinity Scots. And it was a person saying, well, I bought this lovely pair of tartan boots and they said, you know, the tartan is nice. They look lovely, but they were dismayed to find that the product itself, the boots were made in China. Are you finding more and more infiltration into Scottish products, uh, foreign made infiltration, I guess, products made in China and Pakistan and Indonesia, wherever that are Scottish would otherwise be identified as Scottish products, but clearly they're not made in Scotland. And if that's the case, what advice do you have to consumers who want quality Scottish goods? What advice do you have for them to be sure that they, that that's what they get? They don't end up ordering something they think is a product of Scotland. Scotland and finding that, in fact, it came from uh, China or Vietnam or Pakistan. And I'm not dissing those countries, don't get me wrong. But if I want, you know, a tartan, I want it to be a tartan woven in Scotland, not something that was woven and, and manufactured perhaps in China. So is that becoming a problem? And if it is, what advice do you have for consumers that to be careful about that? I think it, it- 
it is really, really difficult because it's very hard for consumers to tell. And there's definitely some very sneaky labeling going on. Um, so definitely reading the labels and just because it said it was designed in Scotland, that's a, a kind of roundabout way of saying, well, was it actually made in Scotland though? Was that cloth actually woven in Scotland? So just looking for those little wording differences, you know, made in Scotland is a trademark. It, it you know, cashmere made in Scotland is a trademark. It's, so that should be your, your guarantee. Um, of that it's actually made here. So just watch out for that kind of designed in Scotland story. But it's also, I think, looking, if you're online, then it's, you know, other stories on that on that website about how things are made. Are there, you know, is there is there a bit more to the website about the fabrics or the origin of the product? So it's easy to stick a thing on correct or not that says made in Scotland but actually is there any substance to that you know you can often read just in product descriptions whether it's you can tell how it's been made or where it's been made or there might be a reference to um, made by such and such in the Scottish borders or in Edinburgh or you know so, so it's looking for those kind of things I suppose to to add to the authenticity to to give that kind of double check of yes this is definitely a Scottish company selling products made in Scotland. Scotland has quite a, um, a history in the textile industry and it's it's not just tartan uh, which of course Scotland is famous for but there's there's tartan there's Harris Tweed, there's cashmere, as you mentioned, wool, of course, of all different varieties. What would you put down to being the reason for the love of Scottish textiles around the world? I think we were talking about this today when we were just developing a new, um, some new packaging and just the labelling of that packaging. And we were just talking about how Scotland has this kind of shortbread tin image on the outside. But I think what makes it special, and I think this, when you get into the products, it's the same thing, where you have this kind of outer, yes, this is a nice product. But then once you get past that, there's just so much more. So as soon as you, yes, you, you want a wool product, but it's a wool product, and then you start to discover the history behind it, the story behind it, the fact that a whole rural economy is based on that product and has been built around that product. And it's and little things like, you know, in this area, the cashmere is very famous and the wool products are very famous for the finish that they have. And the finish they have is due to the water and the softness of the water. And, and the washing that they do of the of the final product gives it that lovely softness that you don't get in other parts of the country um, or other parts of the world. And that's that's what makes this area world renowned for its for its cashmere and its textiles. So I think it's that that depth to the product. There's just so much more to it once you get into it. And I think in a way, Scotland's a bit like that as a country. When you come and visit it, you kind of come and visit. Oh, yeah, and it's got a nice castle and we'll go and see Edinburgh. It's supposed to be a nice city. And and then you get here and you get down into the wee closes and the you, the different stories and Greyfriars Bobby and all these different things that you suddenly start to discover that just add so much depth to to the to what you've kind of thought of in the first place. So I, I think it's that. I think that the people are the same. There's just a lot, 
there's a lot to them there's a lot of story and a lot of history and and that becomes quite apparent once you get into it and i think people will buy a product and then they tend to end up buying more and they become big fans of it because they start to really understand it and understand its story that's why i love about it too my thanks to my guest anna white founder of scotland shop for sharing a behind the scenes look at their tartan and tailoring operations to learn more use the link in our show notes to visit their website Besides serving as an online guide to their products and services, it's chocked full of information about tartans and clan histories and a few unexpected delights, like a recently posted recipe for a chocolate haggis. The link is on our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Next time, we'll meet another two unique Scottish lassies, Ainsley Hamill and Anna MacDonald, they're singers, songwriters, musicians, and step dancers, and the founders of the Association of Exiled Scots. This pair of charming ladies are out to spread the joy of Scottish culture through music, language, and dance, and I know you'll enjoy meeting them just as much as I have. Remember, you can support the podcast with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Just use the bright purple button on the podcast episodes page to visit our coffee site. And for more on Tartan, check out any of the many previous episodes we've done on that very subject. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapolave Agus Alpa Cabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? or get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening. <laughs>